Hey y'all, this is Delegate Carl Anderton Jr. AKA Cornbread, representing beautiful Wicomico County in the Maryland House of Delegates. When I wanna know what's going on in our counties, I listen to the Conduit Street Report. You should too. Well, I guess you are, you're listening now. Welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale today, no Michael Sanderson running solo. It's Thursday, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day in the afternoon. We are approaching crossover. So everybody is running around like a chicken with their head cut off at this point. So I'm going to run it solo. Today, we're going to talk all about elections. We're going to get into the biggest news around town. The election date for the primary has been moved back three weeks. A lot of talk, a lot of news there. But we also want to talk about cybersecurity issues the growing animosity toward election administrators, changes in campaign finance, really nerdy stuff, but actually really cool, talking about like Bitcoin and things like that. And to do this, to join me today, I have the expert on all things elections, Jared Demarinis, the Director of Candidacy and Campaign Finance at the State Board of Elections. Jared, thanks so much for joining us, especially with the news that we got just this week. Yes, well, thank you, Kevin, for inviting me on this uh, podcast. Uh, I appreciate that. and. Uh, I look forward to uh, uh, future podcasts as well from you. This has always been a, a nice little one here, but uh, yeah, it's, it, it, you know, well, besides St. Patrick's Day, it's also the first day of the March Madness too. That's right. You know, so, you know, hopefully brackets will not be blown up on the first day. So, um, yeah, I, hopefully yeah. the luck of the Irish is with you there, Jared. Exactly. So, all right, all right. So, Jared, I mean, to, to, to jump in here, yeah. So you get you not only deal with all the campaign finance stuff, and we can get into that a little bit, but but you also part of your job I think is really cool. You get to meet everybody who's running for statewide office, right? Like they have to come in and see you to file their paperwork, and and obviously that means you've been really busy with that too as we gear up toward uh, the the primary election and this election cycle generally. Yes, uh, I would say that's one of the most uh, unique uh, features of my of my job is that. Candidates uh, for governor, members of the General Assembly, comptroller, AG, all the all the judicial candidates—they all have to come in person and file in my office. Uh, it was definitely uh, easier pre-COVID when they used to just come in and file. Uh, we made some adjustments in this post-COVID world here now. We, we force everyone to uh, make an appointment beforehand uh, and, you know, have all the necessary paperwork done. Uh, so it, it, it's a little bit smoother and less, uh, I would say, less time spending with at the State Board of Elections. Right. But, uh, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's still one of the more neat features of the of the job here. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really cool. But, you know, again, everybody from across the state, they have to come see Jared if they want yep. to, to file, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. It, it, you know, and it, it, in the, in the, I would have to say you, you have a lot of, you know, interesting uh, individuals that seek public office. Not only, you know, you have the ones that from, you know, the governor to, you know, the people that are perpetual candidates and there's always, it's, it's just a fun experience. And one of the, the, 
the best experiences that I always enjoy. And it's definitely more of an insider, uh, I would say, deadline, uh, similar to like a, a signy die, which was the candidate filing deadline, right. uh, where we stay open to nine o'clock at night. And you always see who's coming in at the last second trying to file and what what stunning, uh, you know, challenge will be made on that day. Um, this candidate filing deadline has now been moved a couple of times now. Um, it was February 22nd, then it was moved to March 22nd, and now currently it is uh, April 15th. So, uh, you know, it's uh, it, that, that has become a moving target a little bit, but that day has always been a, a great day. And I, I kind of tweet out, you know, uh, how many more hours we have to, to work, you know, you have to run in and you always get a, a good one or two good candidates that come in just at like 845, just trying to make that that last second deadline, uh, uh, you know, to be a, officially a candidate for the, the primary election. Right. That's pretty. Yeah. I remember those days and obviously COVID has sort of upended that and now moving the deadlines and certainly people have uh, have more time to, to make that decision now but you're, you're getting into what i want to get into next and that is the biggest news around town this week you know the bomb went off right and we got news that the election has been delayed pushed back by three weeks so i mean what's going on there and you know what 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 immediate effects does that have you know besides moving the the filing deadline uh, you know, we're moving it back now into July. So just walk through a little bit. And I want to give you this opportunity too to tell people what's going on and where they can find more information if they need it. Because again, you're you're the expert here and you're plugged in. So 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 just what's going on and and how do you know how do you view this news and in, in terms of what this means immediately? Well, immediately, like I said, it, it impacts the candidate filing deadline. Uh, it is now April 15th. And so now there is more time for candidates to file for for office. Uh, the other impact is it changes the can, uh, candidate, um, I'm sorry, the campaign finance uh, reporting schedule because those were all tied to the election, which we have now updated and sent out to all the committees. Uh, so if they haven't received it, they should check their email and check in their campaign finance reporting system to see the updated schedule. Uh, there's, I would say, other impacts as well with a change in the, the, the election and the primary day. All that will be on our election calendar that will be posted on the website uh, and with the local boards as well. I think the, I would say that the most immediate part here is that you want to take a look at the election officials here. There are very hardworking individuals that take a lot of pride in their job and try to make this a very successful election. And so they're, they're working diligently right now to handle all the changes that are being thrown at them from the courts and from the legislature in a, in a short time frame. So once I just want to give a world of thanks to them and the, that their work is very important and they're they're just working tirelessly right now right. in making sure that this election is going to be uh, the ability to be smooth, but, you know, have high level of confidence in the, the electoral process. Uh, and so they're there, you know, making sure that, you know, 
when you go out and vote in July that you 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 can feel confident uh, in it in its in its in its administration. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I, and I know the state board is doing the same thing and you all are doing everything you can. And look, the, the locals, I mean, the, the election was moved because we know there are challenges to maps and that's beyond the control uh, of you or the local election officials. So everybody's doing the best that they can. I, I agree, these people work extremely hard. They need information. Of course, they're anxious like everybody else. All the candidates are anxious. So I'm sure you you feel that from all sides, right? And I know they all come to you and they want information. So trust me, I, I feel you there. And I, you know, one of the things too, that's interesting, we're, we're moving the election back, but we, we, we've we seen a big uptick, Jared, in mail-in balloting, right? And that's something that was really forced by the pandemic, although it's been talked about for years and many states are, are, are ahead of Maryland in terms of when they've started to do it. But I have to say, I felt like the last election cycle, when it came to mail-in ballots, and the ballot drop boxes that were ubiquitous, things worked really well. People seemed to like it. So we we know, Jared, that people can already request Maryland mail-in ballots, right? So that's already happening. Um, talk about mail-in ballots a little bit and how you see it in terms of how it worked, how the ballot drop boxes worked, and, and whether or not you think this is something that's going to stick around. It, it is sticking around, at least for this cycle. Um, what's the process now? Where are we with mail-in ballots, and, and how is it looking moving forward? Sure, I, I think the the drop boxes, the ballot drop boxes, were definitely the uh, image from the 2020 election, uh, from the primary and from the general. The idea that they were all, like you said, they were ubiquitously uh, placed across the counties, uh, and people felt very confident in them, and they were they're here to stay. Uh, and the general assembly the last session basically codified where the placements would be for those ballot drop boxes in the future as well. So they're, they're not going anywhere. Uh, I think the mail-in ballots, uh, it, we always, in the past, prior to COVID, and it's, you almost have to make this distinction here, uh, right. you know, normal prior uh, pre-COVID elections, Mail-in ballots usually consisted of between five to six percent of all the, the ballots that were cast. In 2020, uh, in the primary, of course, that was an all-mail-in election, and then in the general, we had the hybrid, and that consisted of 50 percent of the, the ballots were mail-in in the, the general election. So there was a, a, a it was taking hold in the general. Uh, this election uh, for 22. Uh, everyone was mailed out a, an application uh, to receive a mail-in ballot. Uh, we have received uh, over 200,000 so far, uh, which is greater than 2018 levels. So you can see from just that data point there that mail-in ballots are proving to be not only successful, but popular among the voters. Uh, I think with the, the election being moved as well uh, to a July uh, file, uh, to a July date, you're going to see more people maybe go to mail-in ballots for convenience sake because of vacations now uh, and other you know factors that they're they're worried. So they can just I, I, I'm going to see you're going to see even I think a greater uptick in mail-in ballots uh, for this election. 
Yeah. And I mean, we've, we've always had the no excuse absentee, right? So you could, you could always request one, but now I think, you know, it's, it's being made a lot easier. People are seeing that it can work. It's safe. It's effective. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I think moving forward, this is going to be a big part of how we vote. And again, Maryland's not the only one. There are several states. And I think COVID also forced other states, right, to, to start doing this more. There's been an uptick. But generally, I mean, we know it's safe. We know it's secure. It's worked really well. So we're going to see it for 22. And we're going to see it moving forward. And, and I guess, Jared, the, the, the real question just becomes like, you know, is this is this more so like the future of elections? I know people talk about like voting online. That's the whole thing, right? I don't think we're ready for that yet. But we do know that generally the theme seems to be we're trying to make it easier, right? We're trying to get to people, make it easier for them. And we want to make sure everybody has the ability to go and vote, to cast their ballot in the best way that they can. That's the most convenient to them. And and obviously when you're in the middle of a pandemic, mail-in was the only way to go, at least for the primary. But I was really impressed with with how the local boards, how the state board handled everything ultimately. And, and you know, in 2020, things went off very, very well. I mean, there was a lot of moving parts. Things were changing all the time. So I have to give you and, and your shop, the state board, and all the local boards a lot of credit because that, that was just a lot going on. And every day it seemed like there was a new curveball. So going through that, I mean, I, you know, I was along for the ride just tangent, tangentially with our local boards and trying to keep up with everything and making sure they had what they needed. But I know you were literally in the middle of it dealing with these curveballs every single day during the 2020 cycle. So I have to give you a lot of props, you, you and your team at the state board. I mean, you got through it and, and things went really, really well, in my opinion. Oh, well, thank you. And I know that the, 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 the state board, I mean, unbelievable, you know, workers there and, you know, from top down is just, you know, amazing uh, people to that always take pride in trying to make sure that Marylanders can have confidence in the election process. And I think that works between the state board and the local boards and that the people that are employed there, you can, they take, like I said before, enormous pride in their work and that they understand this, I would say the gravitas of, of, of what, of what we do, which is, you know, to ensure people's fundamental right to vote and to make sure that that vote gets you know, processed and cast, and that when you come out of it, you know that these results are, you know, correct, and that this election was conducted with integrity. Absolutely. And and just to pivot, you know, another unfortunate you know, change or trend that we've seen now, especially after 2020, and I guess over the past few years, has been just this, this animosity and generally the, the political climate has led to a lot of threats, intimidation against our local election officials. We've already talked about how important they are and the work that they do, but these folks are being harassed and they're getting terrible emails. They're getting threats against themselves and their families. People are sending things to them in the mail and online. And it's, 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 it's absolutely repulsive. But unfortunately, our election folks are bearing the brunt of this. We've, we've just talked about our elections are secure, they're safe, but there's so much, you know, fake news out there and so many people just stirring the pot. And unfortunately, our local election folks and, you know, at the state board, I'm sure, are are, are bearing the brunt of this. So 
I know you're, this is something you're paying attention to. You're, you're in the middle of it. You see it every day as well. I know you're also in touch with, with your folks across the country, your counterparts and other, other states. And actually, I know, Jared, you travel around the world to observe elections, and that's really cool too. But I mean, how concerning is this to you? It's certainly concerning to Mako, uh, and, and we're seeing it, but, but you're more in the mix than we are. What are you hearing from other states? And, and what are you seeing locally when it comes to this environment where all of a sudden our election folks are, are the target of this animosity, hate, threats, intimidation? Uh, it's a disturbing trend. I mean, it's, it's, it's completely uncalled for, and it's, it's had a, it's had a, a negative impact on the election official communities uh, across the, the nation. I believe one in five of the election officials have either left or retired from their jobs recently. And that's a huge gap. Uh, we've even had some turnover in Maryland, but any of the newly appointed election directors or officials have had some election experience. So we've been fortunate in that regards, but it's, it, it's, like I said, disturbing in a sense that all they're trying to do and all we're trying to do is conduct uh, and administer an election in accordance with the law. And, you know, it, it's, we've, we're just trying to do what we're tasked in doing and to have personal threats or having your I would say your integrity questioned uh, for political gain with no real, I would say, substance behind it or it just with disinformation about either the big lie or that fraud is rampant everywhere is just it, it's just not good for the political discourse or just election administration. And it's, it's, it's undermining our democracy at, a, at, a, at an enormous rate. And uh, you mentioned, I, I do do uh, international elections and, and go overseas. And you can see how we used to be, or always, we always want to project ourselves to be that shining star of what a strong democracy looks like throughout the world. And we're supposed to be the ones that everyone is supposed to strive to. We're one of the oldest democracies in the world with, you know, these hard and fast rules. And when people lose elections, it's, there is no doubt that the person lost. They'll just, they just, Either they, everyone accepts that loss and then moves on and, you know, it, and we don't have riots. We don't have uh, coups uh, over that or that the election was tainted. And all this right now is, is, has come back as a disturbing trend that is taking hold in America. And so uh, it's just it, it's one of those things that uh, the security of election officials is a concern for everyone and, you know, our well-being, and it's, and, it, and it's just not right. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, anytime anyone ever says anything to me about the security of our elections or, you know, the intent of the people who run our elections, I mean, I immediately, it just makes my blood boil. And I mean, I know these people, 
you know these people. I know that they're in this because they care. I mean, th this kind of work is is technical, it's difficult, and you don't do it uh, for any other reason other than you really do care and, and you wanna do the best that you can. And so, unfortunately, people, like you said, have politicized that and MAKO, as I mentioned earlier, we, we certainly see it and we care about it a lot. We have an initiative bill this year, a legislative initiative to, to add protections for uh, election administrators and health officers. Health officers also are, are, are bearing the brunt you know, of, of this during the pandemic. They had to make tough decisions to keep everybody safe. And unfortunately, uh, people just take that to a whole new level in terms of their intentions and they get upset. So this stuff is real. It's happening. I know there was an incident in Carroll County a few weeks ago where they received an envelope with what could have been you know, something like, you know, a, a dangerous chemical, and it turned out to be not, but certainly you'd have to think that somebody did that on purpose to try and intimidate them. And again, like no one, no one should have to deal with this. And you're in the middle of, of the, this cycle that's coming and we're changing dates. So there's so much going on. We need to support our local and state election folks. And, and we're hoping that we can get that bill through because again, it, like you said, it's a really disturbing trend and it's it's uncalled for. No one should be subjected to this kind of stuff, but especially people who are trying to make sure that we have free and fair elections and, and carry out you know, our democratic principles. So so Jared, hopefully we can we can get that across the finish line and, and show everyone that we take this seriously in Maryland and we're not gonna let it happen. Oh, I appreciate that. And I know that our election officials and state board appreciates the idea of that initiative to protect us because what we do is, you know, nonpartisan, we do our jobs and, you know, we just implement and administer the law, in know, in that type of a fashion to make sure that everyone votes counts. So, so moving on, hopefully to, to, to maybe a lighter subject, Jared, anything going on in the world of campaign finance? And that sounds really nerdy. But I promise there is some interesting stuff here. So that's another interesting part of your job, a big part of your job. Yes. That also, I'm sure, keeps you really busy uh, with people trying to, to fill out their campaign finance reports and asking all these questions. But what, what is the trend? Anything this session that, that stands out to you? And, and what are you seeing generally in terms of what folks are asking and, and kind of the new trends out there when it comes to, to campaign finance? Well, one of the biggest trends right now, I think, in the state of Maryland was, and it's basically a county initiatives, has been the public financing programs. And we saw it take hold in Montgomery County. They were the first county to, to do it. And that, they did it last uh, cycle in uh, 2018. And now we have Montgomery and Howard uh, for the 22 cycle. And in the 26 cycle, I think Prince George's. Baltimore County is coming on. I know that there was some sort of initiatives in Anne Arundel County. So this is kind of spreading throughout each of the counties and each of the counties is having a little bit of a different program, uh, but uh, it's, it seems to be taking hold and root. Uh, the success of it in Montgomery uh, helped change the state program. This is one of the things that uh, when, when they had this idea of giving the counties this authority to institute uh, public financing programs. This, they wanted to see how well it, it took root in the counties and the state has looked at it and changed the, the gubernatorial financing program to match more like the Montgomery Howard County model, which is uh, these small dollar contributors 
and a cap of how much public funds can be released off of that with a high dollar amount uh, match. So versus the old, uh, I would say, program, which was more of an expenditure limit. Uh, so that's one of the, the the newer trends there. And with these is that you see uh, the ability to finance and have permanent uh, financial support for these programs as well in both the, the county and the state uh, level. So I think that that's been a, a positive trend in campaigns and in campaign finance. Uh, the other part, too, in campaign finance has been uh, this idea of new ways of getting technology uh, in. And mm -hmm. basically, campaigns always like to do something that reaches the maximum amount of voters and is cheap. So uh, what you see is campaigns trying to use, uh, of course, social media because it's free, uh, texting services, and uh, also any sort of, uh, I would say, newer methods for transferring funds. So what you get is with social media, you see you know, the use of Twitter, Facebook, of course, with Instagram. That's all considered, by the way, campaign uh, material under Maryland law. And for all the elected officials or for all the the candidates that are listening requires an authority line on that front there. Right. Uh, right. Texting. Uh, when you start texting voters, you know, information and moving forward with uh, trying to do a direct contact with them, that is still also campaign material and has to follow all the same rules with authority line on that. Uh, with the, I would say, newer forms of currency, uh, there's always Bitcoins out there and uh, cryptocurrency. We see a lot of those commercials now. I, I think it is, is a newer trend uh, in acceptance and its popularity is growing. I've heard and talked to candidates, not in Maryland, but outside that, you know, they want to try to run their entire election based upon cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. uh, Maryland, we're not there yet. But I am looking into it and seeing how and what the implications are for using that. And I think the, the biggest thing is for any of, of activities that we get into campaigns or in campaign finance is the disclosure aspect. And that's of the paramount, I would say, concern for any sort of change or uh, policy shift is will this help disclosure? And, and can it be audited afterwards uh, to ensure what what's on a campaign finance report is accurate? And yeah, so I can imagine yeah. I can imagine that would be difficult because, I mean, that that's a, an issue generally is trying to untangle, you know, crypto. And it, it, it it's hard to to figure out sometimes and, and trace it back. Right. And see exactly what's going on. So all these new technologies, I mean, we talk a lot about you know, government always being a little bit behind when it comes to technology and, you know, having to, to figure it out and write laws and develop policies to keep up with this stuff. So, I mean, Bitcoin and crypto with elections, I, I can imagine that's something that you're going to have to take a hard look at and work with, you know, counterparts in other states who are looking into this and trying to, to make it work. 
it would seem to me I wouldn't want to be the first one, right? I I I wouldn't want to be the one to to venture out and and do this first. I think it makes sense to to see how things work in other states and and try and try and just keep an eye on what's going on and then take best practices and and make sure that we do it the right way here in Maryland. And it sounds like you know that's the approach you want to take as well. Exactly. Yes. It's just you know other other people can uh, lead the way there, but uh, and you know and, and consult as many uh, experts in the field uh, as as well. Another topic too, is like this idea of these deep fakes, which is basically, you know, there was a huge 60 minutes piece on that and how they help spread disinformation and campaigns are, you know, not, not in Maryland, thankfully, but uh, other places have how they, how they use these deep fakes to make candidates say or do things that they did not do in reality. And so, you know, we have to, to take a look at it and how we can regulate it and to help ensure the voters, when they're seeing or hearing images, that they understand uh, what they're seeing and so that they can make informed decisions at the ballot box. And I think that that's, you know, one of the, the overall goals for regulations and for laws is to to make sure in campaign finance and when they regulate campaigns is to make sure that the voters are making informed decisions uh, as to, you know, uh, when, when selecting for public office. Yeah. The deep, the deep fake stuff is really concerning and the technology is incredible in terms of how real they can make it. But I just saw a video, uh, president Zelensky in Ukraine, you know, it, it looked and sounded a lot like him. It was fake. But, you know, you can understand how that could present a huge problem, especially for something as important as elections, not only with with candidates, you know, trying to disparage each other, but also spreading bad information about election dates, deadlines, where you can vote. Like you could see that being a real, real problem. And unfortunately, the technology is there. People are taking advantage of it. But I know it's it's something you all are dealing with and, and trying to figure out how to best handle that. But that's got to be. Uh, top of mind, you know, every day it's something new, some new technology. And then of course, Jared, cybersecurity, right? I mean, that right now where, where we sit and as local governments too, the situation that's happening, you know, with Russia and Ukraine, you know, we understand that that that, that could pose a lot of problems in, in the short term in terms of cyber and cyber attacks uh, coming from overseas. So that's got to be top of mind for you too, especially again, as you you head into a primary election, what what are your thoughts there? And and are you hearing the same thing? And are you trying to prepare in the same way that I think a lot of local governments are right now because of what's happening overseas, even more so than normal? The situation right now is, is really bad, and it's something that I think we all have to be cognizant of. And especially again, as we're as we're moving toward elections, it's so important. Well, I think, right, cybersecurity has always been, uh, since the 2016 presidential election, uh, up front. Uh, and we have strong partnerships with our federal partners uh, to help us, uh, you know, with websites and, uh, I would say, making sure that our systems are very secure. We all know that, you know, Foreign attacks did occur in 2016 and most likely will continue to occur now with the war in the Ukraine. So, yes, we are being, you know, ever vigilant on that front to to make sure that, you know, 
and, that, and, and with that partnership with the federal level, I think is important. And, you know, so we can pull our resources from state, local and federal to, uh, you know, make elections a critical infrastructure. Just like everything else, it takes a partnership, local, state, federal, a lot of people working on this. We have a lot of smart people just getting the right people around the table to make sure that everybody's in the loop and everybody's on the same page and working together. That's how we get through this. That's how we keep things secure, not just for elections, but for, for everything that we do. So Jared, is there anything else on your mind that we, we haven't gotten to? I mean, while I have you, there's a million things I could ask, but anything else top of mind for you before I let you get out of here? Because again, it's, uh, it's St. Patrick's Day and things are bananas in Annapolis right now, but anything you want to close with before I let you go? Uh, no, I just wanted to say uh, thank you again for this. And uh, just uh, if you have an opportunity uh, to thank one of your local board of elections officials, please do so because they are, they are working really hard. And just sometimes even just saying thank you to them or just, you know, good job will go a long way in this uh, in this environment. So I think that it's just uh, important as well. But uh, just uh, thank you again for inviting me on and uh, good luck in all your pools and uh, for the NCAA as well. You too. You too. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Michael's going to be upset. He missed this one, but I'll let you go. And um, for all our listeners, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and give us a follow on social media. You can also subscribe. That way all of these episodes will be sent directly to you. I'll link all the information that Jared talked about here, but you can follow Mako and the Conduit Street podcast on Facebook, Twitter. And then of course the Conduit Street blog is your source for all things Annapolis. But for Jared Demarinus, this is Kevin Canale signing off and we will talk to you soon.